getting accomplished. All right, uh, good stuff, good stuff, everybody. Speaking of touch, I'm just going to massage Zach through this whole mess. Oh, see, see Zach's, Zach's verbal... <laughs> Receiving of my massage just makes me want to massage more. And the thing is about touchers is they know how to give a good They know massage. how to touch. touch. Touchers know how to touch. Come on. If you ever get a random shoulder rub from Kayla, you'll know. That's right. That's right. For, for some of you, that would be awkward. But that's up to you. It's so true. So. So uh, yeah, yeah. So who are the who are the who are the huggers here this morning? Definitely McKay. Oh, dang! Closet hugger, closet. In secret. No, literally, you like hugging closets. I'm a tree hugger. Tree huggers, yeah, yeah. Right on, right on, right on. Cool. I'm a coffee hugger. I hug my coffee. You know, it is actually funny thinking about food uh, because instinctively you want to put food on the list of things that you touch, but uh, you know you don't necessarily touch a lot of your food when you eat it. You know, you're touching your fork or something, or like coffee. Like, how often do you put like your hands in the beans? Which I recommend. It's it's great. But uh, anyway. And just, uh, you know, it's just embodiment, you know, like getting your hands in the beans, you know what I'm saying? Just like putting your hands in the dirt. Yeah, try it. Don't knock it, don't knock it till you try it. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, and especially I think about it a lot during this season where you kind of get into gardening a little bit more and you're touching your vegetables in the dirt and all that stuff. And, um, uh, which, speaking of which, I don't know why, but the last two days, so my... My five, my four-year-old has discovered this show on Netflix called Love Your Garden, and it's like a British gardening show. It's like and, makeover. Yeah, it's like home That's makeover for gardeners. It's it's like that. It's like a British gardening British version of that. And like I woke up this morning at like six thirty to her in the living room watching the show, and she watched two episodes. And uh, anyway, and she was like, "What?" Well, I was like, "Don't you want to watch some cartoons?" She's like, "No, this is great." You know, and it's like just all right, all right. She's, that's a that's a win for me. That's what I'm saying. I, I I crawl back in bed and Emily's like, "Is she watching inappropriate things?" I'm like, "I don't think so. It's a gardening show." But, uh, Anyway, so uh, let's let's start this morning. Uh, let's all stand up, just to, to use our bodies here this morning. Maybe hands in the air a little bit, and uh, I'm gonna give you the option to hug someone, to high five someone, or to headbutt someone. So go go now, go now. That's awesome. Right on. And then you can sit back down. And anything, anything else awkward, you might want to throw in there. Uh, right on. I, I may have been the only one who got headbutted. But really, anyway, that that sort of that sort of backfired. So uh, last week, uh, last week 
we unpacked, Chelsea unpacked for us, we talked about believing and seeing and that sort of stuff. And we're kind of going to continue that theme. So just to keep you guys up to speed, we're on the narrative lectionary, uh, which means we have left the building of John and we're in Acts now because uh, we started the Bible in September and we're going to end it in May. Talk about a whirlwind. So, but we're, that the idea again is to sort of like uh, put it all together, right? And that's kind of the neat thing that happens uh, with this narrative lectionary is that we go through this sort of cycle. Uh, and so this morning uh, we are, after the resurrection, we are in the gospel, the gospel of Acts and Luke Acts. And um, we're going to jump into probably a familiar text in chapter 9 this morning. And so I want to jump in and point some stuff out and we'll go somewhere. So, send your hand out. Read along. NRSV, Caleb adapted. <laughs> Meanwhile, and by the way, I'm like stopped up, so nothing else I can do. Meanwhile, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any who belonged to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Uh, so you get this, uh, one of the first images of Saul, and he's, he's kind of like, he's kind of like the, the Bible's version of Boba Fett. You know, he's like, he's like the bounty hunter for the empire. Verse 3, now as he was going along and approaching Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice saying to him, by the way, this, uh, you, you, you slow this down a little bit, and there's almost like echoes of creation, uh, even in this sort of language as, as, as God intersects here. There's the, 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 the light from heaven, he falls to the ground, and there's a voice, and it says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Verse 5, and he asked, who are you, Lord? And the reply came, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Get up and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless because they heard the voice but saw no one. Saul got up from the ground and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. And so they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And so what happens is Jesus steps among these guys here and uh, his very presence uh, almost like disrupts their senses, uh, right? It's, it, it's like if you're absolutely sure, I guess, reality is this one way, and then you happen on the way to Damascus, meet ultimate reality himself, right? And, uh, it's, and it's quite blinding for you if it's uh, another way, right? It's almost like uh, if, if you were convinced that everything was this way, Right? And then you, you, you stumbled upon ultimate reality himself, right? and all of a sudden it's like your senses become useless. Right? Uh, you become speechless. You become blind. Right? Um, anyway, it says, verse 9, uh, For three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Uh, and so you kind of wonder if there's sort of a play on, right, uh, doesn't eat. He doesn't drink for three days, right? There's sort of this play on like death and resurrection, right? Uh, for, for Saul, Paul here. Verse 10. Now, uh, there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. 
And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, he answered, Here I am, Lord. The Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. Right, it's very specific directions, you know. Turn left at the light. And at this moment, he is saying, he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. So if you kind of like uh, catch a little bit what's going on uh, in, in the text, it says, the Lord said to Ananias in a vision, right, that at this moment Saul is praying and has seen a vision of you coming and laying your hands on him, right? So you're like catching it, catching kind of what's, what's happening here. Like a, a man who sees has a vision about a man who doesn't see, who is simultaneously having a vision about the other man coming and restoring his sight. <laughs> it's like, this is like so good. It's like, it's like Inception level four, you know? And, uh, and so there's this, there's uh, sort of this seeing in the text, but there's also uh, seeing, right? There's also sort of this thing underneath the thing going on, uh, right? Sort of a lower level. Uh, verse 13, But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who invoke your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a vessel whom I have chosen to bring my name before Gentiles and kings and before the people of Israel. I myself will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So you almost have to be like, okay, wait for a minute. Is, is God being like vindictive here? Is God like, he's going he's gonna to get what's coming to him, right? Uh, he's going to get a good dose of it. His, his punishments will be his servitude to me. You know, I think we often read the texts with that sort of framework sometimes. Uh, or is, is there, maybe is there just something much more profound being said here, right? Is it, is it just that being a disciple of Christ Jesus, the salvation, the, the, the following, the, the seeing, will always inevitably involve some sort of suffering, right? Some sort of cross uh, to bear, right? So this is, this is almost like just classic... Uh, classic kingdom of God scandal stuff, right? That the very ones of us who are seemingly very far away from God's plan, if you will, are the very ones whom God chooses to draw in by his grace to make us vessels of this new kingdom, right? Classic, you know, classic God stuff. Verse 17. So Ananias went and entered the house and he laid his hands on Saul and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on your way here, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and his sight was restored. And then he got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Word of the Lord. So my question this morning, one of the questions I have is why Ananias, right? I mean, Ananias, of, of, of all people. Um, if you look up Ananias in the Bible, you actually get lots of hits because there's 
several of them in the Bible. It's a good Hebrew name. It means like the 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 favorite favorite of the Lord, right? I mean, would you wish your parents and they do that? You know, it's like why? You know, by the way, Caleb means dog in Hebrew. You know, it's like, it's like there's Lou and no thought here, Mom. You know, Ananias, come on. Uh, and uh, anyway, but but why did why did God need this guy? Like, why is he in the story? He's literally after this. He's not in the Bible anymore, right? I mean, we he's not even in the apocrypha. He didn't make the the B team. You know, he's he's not in there. And but so why 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 does God choose? Ananias, why does he he need Ananias to put his hands on Saul, right? For some reason, God needed Ananias' hands. For some reason, Saul needed Ananias' hands, right? That the God who created the universe is still choosing to use his creation to do more creating, right? This is, uh, this is sort of the relationship we continue to enter into through every story in the Bible, through every encounter with Jesus, and every... Uh, uh, since, since the dawn of time, right? That, that God chooses to, to use our hands to do his work. It's interesting. So you'll notice, actually, if you look close at the text, there's this sort of like sensory thing happening in this text, right? Saul loses his sight. His companions heard a voice but saw nothing, and then they were speechless, right? Saul doesn't uh, eat. He doesn't taste for three days, right? You can almost input smell with him putting his face to the dirt, right? And, and then having food later. And then finally, uh, healing for Saul must come through touch, right? It has, this is how it comes, right? Through someone else's touch. And so I think a lot of times when we think about Paul in the Bible, we think about sort of just this I don't know, Orbeus, uh, you know, disembodied theology. We think about his letters just sort of floating around there and all his words, right? But, but the story of Saul, Paul, right, is very embodied. From the very moment that he encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus, all throughout his ministry, I mean, he gets shipwrecked and locked up and starved and beaten, right? I mean, there, there's probably, uh, other than Christ himself, I mean, Paul had to go through it, right? And this is sort of his story. And so it's a very uh, embodied uh, encounter um, here, in the, here in the Acts 9 narrative. So it really stood out to me. But what is it here, though, about the touch of Ananias, right? What is it about the, the touch of Ananias' hands? Um, hands, right? Who has hands here this morning? <laughs> hands, hands are good. Hands are good. Like some of you do. Some of you don't. It's okay. Uh, yeah, so I have like a, a, a hyper awareness of my hands now, especially this one. So some of you know I had an accident with this hand uh, in, in 2015 where I cut some arteries and stuff really bad, and then they repaired it. Anyway, so, uh, but I have to be hypersensitive about my hand now. Ironically, because I don't have feeling in half of it, right? And so if I'm if I'm not like thinking about where my hand is at, like literally, like I might like cut it off or burn it or you know do other mutilated or something, which happens quite quite frequently, right? Because I have to be aware of it because I don't feel where it's at, right? I was thinking that I was thinking too about my my hand therapists, right, and sort of getting to know them and what they do, like they use their hands to heal other people's hands, 
It's like the coolest. It's like the coolest gig in the world, right? That you actually get to use your hands to take care of other people's hands. Um, you might see that movie, uh, The Shape of Water. You might see that when it came out. So I, uh, that's, I, I don't know that I can give my official like Jesus stamp on it because because uh, it's got some stuff in there that you know I get some crap about. But anyway, but overall, social justicely, like it's a pretty rocking movie. Uh, but there's without without spoiling the whole thing, there's it, there's this creature in the movie who embodies uh, the future, right? This creature is supposed to be the future, and it's his hands in the movie that are actually healing agents, which is really interesting. Uh, what what would it mean? What would it look like for us as a people to think more about our hands as uh, healing hands? As agents of, of healing in our in our world, right? Um, more than more than just sort of theologically, right? But but actually, really physically, to think more about our hands as vessels of of healing, right? In terms of of, of what our hands are for, um, we're going through this a lot right now with our two year old who has decided uh, that when she's upset, which is every other three minute increments. Uh, she she hits or pinches or does something you know uh, inappropriate with her hands and and uh, so we're constantly saying like all the time like hands are not for hitting you know what are hands for hands are for hugging and being kind and loving and high five shake my hand kiss my hand I don't care you know stop hitting anyway so we're constantly trying to turn that narrative. What are hands for? There's a, good, there's a good book about that. Hands are not for hitting. Teeth are not for biting. Tails are not for pulling. There's really... Uh, anyway. Um, so, uh, yeah. Germs are not for sharing. What's that? Germs are not for sharing. Germs are not for sharing. So, uh, that's a general problem. Like, we, we know what not to do with our hands, but what are we supposed to do with our hands, right? Um, verse 15, it says, So the Lord said to him, Go, for he is... Uh, a vessel. Vessel. This is like a good New Testament word. It's used a lot. Uh, skulos, uh, which means vessel. Uh, and so some translations will actually say instrument. Uh, but it's one of those ones that, that Paul uses a lot. He uses it in Romans 9 when he talks about God being the potter and us being the vessel. right? Uh, or later in uh, 2 Corinthians 4, which Carla were here, I'd have her quote it. But, uh, and uh, it's, uh, we, uh, we read it earlier, right? It says, we have this treasure, and, and the good old versions will say, like, earthen vessels, you know, which, that's a good one. But, uh, but, you know, our generation, we like the jars of clay, naturally. But, uh, and it said, so that it may be made clear that this extraordinary power belongs to God and does not come from us. We are afflicted in every way, crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be made visible in our bodies, right? For while we live, we are always being given up to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may be made visible in our mortal flesh, right? Uh, the life of Jesus made visible in our mortal flesh, like a 
I love that line, right? In our bodies, the life of Jesus visible in our bodies, right? And, and, and so how does that work? Uh, you know, I think a lot of times when we think about like laying on hands and that, and that sort of terminology for people, we think about like an ordination service and a bunch of old white guys like putting their hands on somebody and praying over them and stuff and, you know, and uh, there's sort of this maybe image uh, that, that comes to our minds with that. But ironically, though, it's not that sort of thing they, they like teach you in seminary about, you know what I'm saying, laying on hands. There's no class that, that's called like how to touch people. You know, and uh, they just don't. They just don't teach you that stuff. And uh, actually, it's it's like it's it's quite the opposite, right? If it, I think if I learn anything, you know, if you learn anything, you learn like how not to touch people, right? <laughs> right? How 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 not to lay hands on someone? <laughs> Are you with me? And uh, you know, and and so it, it, it's quite the it's quite the other way around, right? It, all, all proliferation of the gospel is, is words. And through our words, we, we, we learn how to give people more words, right? Uh, and so all the while, touching and hands becomes that much more uh, foreign and, and awkward and, and weird and stuff, right? The more that we find ourselves touching people. And so... Uh, some of you are like, oh my gosh, you touched you right now. <laughs> and so, you know, it, there's sort of a shift that, that begins to happen. And so uh, the gospel, which is supposed to be literally the reflection of this incarnation, the flesh and the blood of Jesus Christ, right, the embodiment uh, becomes more disembodied, right? And so even in our, our good yet maybe a little fear-driven uh, efforts to be uh, Nazarene safe, right, in, in all of our church dealings, uh, if that makes sense. Uh, we've, we've removed almost all the, the healthy touch with the possibility of there being unhealthy touch, right? Are you with me? And, and, and so there's sort of this gap, right? If the framework in which we think about touch is already primarily negative, right? We've thwarted already the ministry of the body of Jesus in the world. Does that make sense? And, and so what does it mean to be a people, as I spit on you, what does it mean to be a people who reclaim touch, right? What does it mean to reclaim touch? This is, this is not easy work, right? This is, uh, this is not easy work. Uh, I think about, um, you know, one of my favorite hymns growing up. I don't know why, but it was. You already know. He touched me. He touched me. Right? Did you guys see that growing up? He touched me. Chad knows that song. Come on. There was this one guy in a really nice voice, and he would go, Oh, he touched me. Stop it. He touched me. Oh, dang. Dang. Yeah. But we can't even, we can't even talk about, we can't even, we can't even talk about the song without sort of laughing a little bit. You know what I'm saying? Much less singing. We tried to sing it one time years ago. I don't know if you remember this. Probably none of the rest of you were here, but it was like, so like inevitably the, the college kids are snarking in the back, you know, like, you touch me, you know. And uh, even, even the word touch, are you with me? Even the word touch, like, 
has something going on there, right? And 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 in you know in our culture today today there's there is this whole hashtag me too thing. You know, there's a lot going on in our culture. There's a lot going on in our world about touch right now, so it's easy to get there, right? That I saw on the news is hold the whole Tony Robbins the guy with the hashtag he touched thing. Or me too. <laughs> hashtag he touched. <laughs> Yeah, that's going to be the hashtag from today's sermon. Uh, and, uh, Caleb, hashtag you touch. Uh, anyway, uh, but there's a lot. There's a lot going on there. Um, there was a lot. There's a lot of touching that's happened in a, in an unhealthy way that was that was hidden and now is being made known. Right now, there's this great uncovering uh, of of what's going on, which is great. But as we decide what appropriate touch, then and appropriate touch boundaries are in the church and in the world, uh, right? What might it look like for the for the body of Christ, okay, to be the forerunners who reaffirm what what healing touch is, right? Uh, sight giving touch, scales falling from your eyes, uh, touching, right, can look like in the world, right? Are you with me? Uh, we were at the park a couple days ago. And the girls are playing. There's a bunch of kids there, all shapes and colors and sizes. But Daly, in particular, is very small. It doesn't have a lot of hair. So all the kids are always calling her baby and, and stuff. And so she's playing at one point, and all the other little kids are coming up to her, and they're, like, putting, putting their hands in her hair and touching her belly and, like, rubbing her stuff. And they're like, baby, baby. You know, and they're like, can you talk? You know? And, uh, and Anyway, and so I let it go on for just a minute, you know, you know, until some kid in Emily is going for the eyes, you know, and I was like, okay, all right, all right, uh, you know, let's keep our hands to ourselves, uh, you know, and uh, anyway, it's just, it's just funny, and that's uh, probably the, the appropriate parent thing to do, I suppose, is interject there, uh, but that is what we, uh, that is what we begin to learn at a very young age, right, about keeping our hands to ourselves, right? And, and that's a good thing to learn, but we also, for whatever reason, never learn when to not keep our hands to ourselves, when to use our hands or when to give our hands and when it's appropriate to give our hands to, to someone else or later on. Uh, a minute later, there was these two other little boys and one was a little larger than the other one and I thought they were brothers and, and the... the the big boy was picking up the little boy to try to get him to the monkey bars, you know. And he was like, you know, both of them are pretty small, but it was kind of funny to watch. And uh, and, and finally the big kid goes, like, man, you're just, I can't do it, you're just too big. You know, and, uh, and the kid, little kid was like, could barely talk. He's like, eh, whatever, you know. And, uh, and then he was like, hey, my name's Jake. And like they didn't, you know, they didn't even know each other, you know. And uh, it, was just, it was just funny, you know. It's like I thought they were brothers or something, but, uh, you know, in, in, in just a few short years, you know, this kid will learn how inappropriate that is, you know, to, to bear hug someone from the back and lift them on the monkey bars, right? That, that, that we, we will probably, as a society, put huge barriers on that sort of uh, touch, right? Uh, you know, and, and so... Touch will inevitably come for, for our children even more isolated and, and foreign in a context. And, and, and so I think we're left to, to answer the question more these days, what to do with our hands? 
which inevitably is much more difficult. Uh, one last text uh, from Thessalonians 4. Later on, the Apostle Paul, in his ministry, uh, he writes, and this is in your handout, verse 1, says, Finally, brothers and sisters, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you learn from us how you ought to live and to please God, as in fact you're doing, you should do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. It's a good Nazarene word. That you abstain from fornication. That, that each of you know how to control your body in holiness, in honor, not with lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. That, that no one wrong or exploit a brother or sister in this matter. But because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, just as we have already told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God did not call us to impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever rejects this, rejects not human authority, but God who gives you his Holy Spirit. Uh, it's interesting. So in verse 3, there's this word fornication, which is, you know, we throw that around and say, like, what in the world does that even mean? It's, it's, this, uh, it's this Greek word, porneia, right? Which obviously sounds like porn. Uh, which uh, all of a sudden you have all of these sort of like, well, what is this about? And what's interesting about this Greek word is that if you, like, uh, if you click on the root of that, there's like another word, and you click on the root. This is actually rare, and this almost never happens, where you can just sort of like root word, root word, root, root word, and it, it'll just like keep going back, right? And, um, and eventually you get to like, uh, well, I think I'm trying to remember what I wrote down. One of the words was like sell. You know, eventually it's about like selling yourself, you know? And um, anyway, so in this, in this text, right, so this pornea, this adultery or, or sexual immorality, might say, literally it's like doing bad or harmful or hurting or ungodly things with your body, right? This sort of thing, this sort of doing with your body stands here in this text directly in contrast with our sanctification, right? Which has to do with like a, a holy controlling of our bodies, right? And so the interesting uh, thing to me as well in this text is what's not there, right? There's no Greek verb in here that says like, put your body away, okay? Like get rid of your body, right? Like put that away, right? Because that would be, that would be Gnosticism, okay? Like, that, that your body is bad. It's something that we're still struggling with in, in much in our, in our culture today, right? Especially in the church, unfortunately. Uh, but there's, there's, there's nothing that says put your body away, but sanctification is actually, and this is what I love, this is what I get my steps still on, right? Sanctification is about doing good things with your body, right? Actually putting your hands to do good things uh, with, and holy things with your body, and so, uh, wrapping it up this morning, this, the story of Ananias and Saul is so crucial for us this morning on this point uh, today in a time when, when God desires us to actually do something with our hands, uh, right? Uh, and so today, I, I wonder if, if there's not, for you, maybe some sort of vision uh, that you've had, a vision within a vision, maybe about what God might have you to do with your hands in the world, right? In holy ways. In ways that will likely be fairly uncomfortable uh, at some point. Maybe a call to bring healing or reconciliation, to feed or to comfort or to sow, right? With your hands.
to mend with your hands. And so, this morning, Saul was blind, right? And interesting in the text, he was led by his friend's hands uh, into Damascus. And then he was healed by the friends of his enemies. Or he was healed by his enemies, right? In the text, right? In the notice. And what's interesting in, in, in this, that, that for God, it was necessary that Saul had to be touched. Are you with me? That, that sometimes, sometimes we're so distraught, sometimes we're just so broken and in need and lonely and hurting, and sometimes we're just so uh, in need and angry and lost and untouched that we just, maybe what we do need is just to be touched, right? That what we need is to be embraced by someone in love so that the scales can come off. You know what I mean? That what they need is, is touch. Uh, I was listening to the Liturgist Embodiment podcast a few weeks ago, and they were talking about this, <clears throat> they were talking about this study um, they did with mice or rats or something and human tears and how they found that uh, human tears were toxic to mice and they were poisoning them and that there's this toxicity to our tears and what that means as a people who, you know, bot bottles up your tears, you know, and what that does to you. It's interesting to think about. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm in general a tear bottler upper, you know, hashtag confession. Uh, and, and it's hard to know, like, how to change that or alter that, you know, to like, sort of switch you can flip, you know. And I particularly remember uh, when my grandfather passed away. And I, you know, I cried, you know, some for sure, absolutely. But I remember the day of the funeral, they let the, they let the family in first, you know. And then I just sort of held it together. And you have this sort of like, I'm keeping it together for mom right now, you know, kind of thing, that, which is stupid. You know, it's like we ought to just embrace her. And, but, and I was totally fine until my sister came up and gave me a hug. And it was like, man, and I just lost my mom. You know, it's like the, it just, you know, you just lost it all, you know. There's something about a touch, right? That a touch and embrace can open up everything, can it? It can, it can literally bring that sort of healing because we were, we were created to touch one another. It's, it's, it's part of who we are, right? And so maybe too often this morning, maybe too often uh, we, we like to talk about how we're the hands and feet of Jesus in the world. And sometimes I can't help but wonder if we're not a little too self-congratulatory about it. You know, like, you know, we got some clean water, we're... We're in the hands of Jesus in the world, patting myself on the back with Jesus' hand right now, you know. And uh, <laughs> what, is it, what does it mean to physically be those hands, right? To embrace our untouched neighbors and friends and sometimes even our enemies. And, and maybe even this morning to be willing to receive that touch 
which can be just as difficult as giving the tench. And so may you this morning find yourself uh, receiving the touch of God through others today. And may you find yourself giving the touch of God to others today. The God who heals and embraces and sometimes puts us on the ground on the roads of Damascus this morning. So let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for your hands your hands that that heal us and embrace us, your hands that bear the wounds of the cross, Lord, the the hands that you invite us to touch, to see that the, the wounds are real, Lord. It is inevitable, Lord, that once we believe, as Chelsea said, we, we also finally see what does it mean to be a people who invites others to come through our hands and our touch to touch your hands. Help us to be that people this morning that we would invite others, embrace others in love, Lord, as we narrowly walk the, the, the culture we live in today to reclaim healing touch for your kingdom. In your name we pray. Amen. I'm going to someone to go get the kids. And um, in the meantime, can we get communion ready? That'd be fun. I think we could go ahead and do a couple announcements while they're coming in here. Um, so um, next Sunday, this has altered the plan. So we were going to have the garden pickoff next Saturday. But we have decided in crazy fashion, because next Sunday actually is Earth Day, we're just going to combine next Sunday's service with the garden kickoff, and it's going to be one crazy, get your hands dirty, plant flowers, uh, you know. And, and I like it because, uh, you know, why, why do we have to think about these things in separate ways? Are you with me? Let's look out. And uh, anyway, so that's happening. So next Sunday, come with your... Work sandals on and your trellis in your hand, or your trowel. Your trellises in your trowels and your seas and your trousers. And, um, and that's going to happen next Sunday. Uh, also, side note, that means no potluck next Sunday, but we are actually going to provide lunch for everyone, as if it were a, a normal thing. So, uh, And today, uh, we might try to put out a couple of signs for that. Uh, and then also, I'm probably going to get my boots on today and go out there and try to clean up the garden a little bit if anyone wants to go change and help or help as you are. So. There's anything that... Um, if there's any weekly thing that teaches us about embodiment... <laughs> Uh, probably communion is that thing. Uh, Chelsea talked about seeing last week, and Caleb talked about touching this week, and every week uh, we taste uh, what this faith means um, through communion. So. Come in, you can find a seat with the up, or you can come sit up front. You can 
sit up front if you want. No. Okay, you're going to sit with Shannon.
Can everyone yeah. respond together by saying we are thankful? We are thankful! Okay, everyone, fold your hands and close your eyes. Fold your hands. We're going to pray. I didn't close my eyes. No, been broken and your blood has been poured out for us. We thank you. We pray that you would make this bread and this cup holy. Your body and your blood. Thank you. 